welcome to the Beltway Outsiders podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Vaughn. This is going to be a little bit of a different show because this is an immediate post-reaction show. So I'm going to to dispense with the normal pleasantries that I would put in here, but I will remind you to make sure to go to thebeltwayoutsiders.com where you can sign up for my newsletter and get on my columns. I will have reactions in the newsletter and, and in my columns this week about this debate, but I suspect we will see more news between now and then. So I wanted to go ahead and get this debate reaction out there since it just happened i was gathering all my th- all my thoughts and i did take notes which when i was texting with one friend during this they were aghast they couldn't believe that there was anything to take notes about but here we are so i'm going to talk through the debate here talk through my initial impressions of it try to walk through some of the major points about it and talk about debates in general and i think that's where where I'm going to start, because the way we consume debates now is different than any other time in the past. So in the past, when we would, people would listen to debates, you would have them go all the way through it. They may have talked about the ideas or the points throughout it. But the cable news era changed that, and the social media era has amplified this even more. And it's where, during the cable news era, debates went from broad themes to people were trying to get in those buzz lines, those things that get everyone talking, that all the cable news shows would talk about. And that's gotten amped up even more in the social media area, where people's entire perceptions of these debates come down to what they hear and see in 30 to 60 second clips on social media. And usually whatever's in that clip plus the caption tells you whatever you need to know for that debate. It's the memification, I guess you could say, of all political rhetoric in our nation. And this was pushed initially by the media, and it's just been amplified as social media. And whatever is viral is the thing that drives reactions to that. So the broad ideas here don't matter, and they haven't mattered for some time. People, I know the the main reaction that people had after this debate is that it was a disaster, that it was just, it was a disgrace to our country, and that, you know, what does it say about us that we have just that kind of mess or disaster happen? When in reality, that debate is an accurate reflection of where America is as a country when it comes to these kinds of things. This is how we talk. This is how we talk on social media. This is how we talk on YouTube videos. This is how we see political discourse happen on cable news shows. So the the main point that people had that this was just a disgusting display, I, I understand it, but it's also where we've been going for the last, really, you could go back the last 40 years with the advent of mass media, television era and everything, but it's really picked up in the last 10 to 15 years with the rise of social media. Whereas you can maybe point it to a little substance before, there's none now. So when Trump comes out swinging like he does, he was going for two things. He was going for those those moments, those single moments that everyone will repeat. And then he was going to get under Joe Biden's skin to prevent Biden from being able to have a lot of those kinds of moments. And so the outcry for more substance is one of those things that I get it, but it's also not what sells clicks. It's not what people tune in for, and it's it's not what people want. I mean, that's just where we are right now. You, you can talk to any political site, 
and I, you know, I've worked and I've written for a lot of them. And if you depend on advertising, you want that kind of debate. You may talk about how bad it was, but the entire news media industry is set up around getting those kinds of debates to occur because that's what people want. It may be like big WrestleMania, you know, a WWD cage match, but that's what people click. That's simply what sells. And so to that point, and I think it is an important point here, we'll start out first. The first thing that the first main takeaway that everyone should have after that debate is very simple. Donald Trump won that debate. That was his best debate in both election campaigns. His both he he consensusly lost all his debates against Hillary Clinton. This is the first one I think he legitimately won, just straight up. And that was because he was up front and he was swinging, especially the first half of the debate. That is where he had his best moments. I think he sort of tired out during the middle and sort of started swinging back a little bit towards the end. But the first half of that debate was all Trump. And Biden didn't have an answer at any point in time. He looked weak. He looked ineffectual. He, he, he literally showed his age. He looked like the Joe Biden. Everyone said that the, the proof that Joe Biden could stand up and last through one of these debates was the Bernie Sanders debate that happened in March. And there's a reason that that was a bad take and a bad opinion to have. Bernie Sanders never took off the kid gloves with Biden. Bernie Sanders is a a great debater in his own right, and he can throw punches. And he refused, just as he did in 2016 with Hillary Clinton, he refused to ever land a single punch on Joe Biden. Bernie Sanders could have ended Hillary Clinton on a debate stage, but he refused to when he said, I don't care about your emails. He could have literally torn Clinton apart on that point, and the entire electric would have gone with him, and that was the point in which he lost the race. I remember sitting there in 2016 and saying, Bernie Sanders just lost this race, and he chose to give it up to Hillary Clinton. And the same thing happened in March. Bernie Sanders had a chance to go after Biden, and he declined to do so. That is not going to happen in a debate with Donald Trump. Trump did not let up until he just kind of ran out of energy towards about the middle of it. When they got into some topics, he was a little less comfortable with dressing. But once they got back to some of his his high points, he came back swinging again. So that is that is just the objective part here. Joe Biden lost this debate, and he lost it pretty spectacularly. And here is... Here, there's two tales that you can sell. You can you can find here. One, you're not going to find anybody on cable news saying that Joe Biden won. Not anybody honest, anyway. That's your first tale, and that's because people are coming out saying something else on the backside. Their main point here is not to say that Joe Biden won, but that we don't need to have any more debates because this was a disgrace and nobody can debate can debate Donald Trump in this kind of setting, which is a joke. It's not true. Hillary Clinton did it three times in 2016. Three times. Joe Biden can't last one? That makes no sense. So the the don't have any more debates thing is a little bit like what you're seeing from the Trump crowd, where they're, they're complaining about how what Chris Wallace did. And I think Wallace did fine. I... My long rant that has been forever on this is that I would get rid of moderators altogether and just go to Lincoln-Douglas debates and let these guys go at it. I don't care what a moderator thinks, what they're asking, or what they're trying to do. They're not on the ballots. These candidates are, and I would rather have them duke it out and just go at it, just frankly, than opposed to having a moderator stepped in. So Chris Wallace, I like 
on Facebook. I recommended his book, and I would recommend it to you. Please go check it out. I mean, if you think he had a rough night, send him a few bucks. Buy his book. It's um, about 1945 and the 116 days towards the drop of the atomic bomb. He wrote it like a thriller. And so it's like you're, it's history, except it's a beach read. He made it light reading. That was his explicit goal. I was listening to an interview he gave over the summer about it. So that's a side note, but go buy Chris Wallace's book. He's great. And I think he did the absolute best that anyone could have done in the situation. I personally, I would have thought, I think he should have just kind of tried to step out of the way. And the way to control Trump in those types of situations is not to try to get him to stop. It's to use TV type cues saying, hey, we need to shift to this because we need to hit this topic. It's, and when, when, when Wallace was attacking Trump more, that allowed Trump to get more defensive and attack back. The way to sort of shift him is to talk in a TV language. But that's all beside the point. Because the the main thing I want to get to here is Biden's defenders are saying we don't need to have any more debates. And the main people who are saying this are people like David, David Axelrod, formerly of the Obama campaign. A lot of pundits are saying this. I saw this on Twitter. Um, Benjamin Watson, a, a form, I, I, think he, I think he's still a football player. He may be former now. In any event, he was saying we don't need to have any more debates and people just need to study up. And I get the impetus there if you think this was a disaster for the country. I truly do understand that. But if you are the Biden campaign, you cannot say no more debates. You cannot do it. You cannot do this when you objectively lost a debate because if you say no more debates because I can't debate this guy, you are doing so from a point of political weakness. Because if you say no more debates and you just blame Trump and say he's, you just say, well, I'm just not going to play, then you look like a sport. You're saying, I cannot debate this guy when it was proven that Hillary Clinton could, and she was one of the worst candidates in U.S. history. And if she can, then why can't Biden? It's one of those things where if you're going to say you cannot debate Trump, then how are you going to say that you can lead the country? Because Trump is not the worst bad guy out there. You've got these countries like Russia and China and their leaders, uh, Putin and Xi, you've got to be able to push back against them too. And if you can't stand up for yourself in a debate like this, then how can you expect anyone to believe that you can stand up for the country in some of these areas that matter? And so if you say no to more debates now, you're doing so from a fundamental point of weakness. And you're ceding all the political ground to Trump and allowing him to declare victory, not just in this debate, but in any debate. Now, the other thing you can hope for here if you're with the Biden campaign is you would hope that Kamala Harris picks it up because she's got the next debate against Mike Pence. And, you know, I, I would not put all my eggs in that basket just because Kamala Harris has proven that she only had one good debate moment and is when she was tried to knife Joe Biden in the back and then she fell apart in spectacular fashion in every single debate after that and had to drop out in December because of her bad debates. So Kamala Harris is bad on her feet. And I, I, what I think she will try to do is she's going to say, well, Biden got beat up. I need to come out and do that to Pence. And Pence is not going to be like Biden. And Kamala Harris is not good at attacking like that. She's going to come across as looking bad. So the Biden campaign on these debates, they are in bad territory here. They've got to figure out how to fix this. And I don't see any clear way to do that honestly here, because leading into this debate, 
it was becoming a joke among political journalists that every single day Joe Biden was de- doing what's called declaring a lid. And he was doing so at like 8, 9.30 in the morning, which means there was no more events for that day. He was doing nothing. There was absolutely nothing else happening, no more public events happening in the Joe Biden campaign. And so what political journalists were saying is, well, well, you can't attack him and say he's just not capable of doing anything because he's preparing for the debate. He's preparing for the debate. And the Biden campaign even lead into this. And if that's the case, if you've been preparing for debate for a month, and this is the best response you've got, then I don't know how you fix it going forward. So I understand why people want Biden out of the debates now, because that's what these Democrats see. They see he is getting beat up and he can't take the punishment. But it also means they're at a point of weakness here. Now, you could say, Biden could say, well, I've got a seven to nine point lead, so these debates don't really matter. And so even if I'm a, I'm a point of weakness, uh, you know, on a political optics level here, I have a strong polling position. And that's true. He does have that. But you're putting an awful lot to chance there that people won't read that ultimately as a point of weakness, read Biden as weak, and then depress the vote because they don't think you're capable of standing up to Donald Trump. You're just depending on them to show up and vote. And that's not a great position to put your your supporters and your voters in. If people don't believe you're capable of doing that, then why should they give you your vote? Why would they think that you're... Not only can you not stand up to Trump, why would they think that you would stand up and do anything for them? Why would they think you could stand up to the extremist in your own party? There's all these questions that build out from here, where if you step out from the debates now, that's what the the narrative becomes, and you choose that as a campaign. Now, maybe you can overpower it just because people, they a lot of people have their minds made up on Trump, but if you so depress your own supporters, they're just not going to turn out. You may be leading in the polls, but those people may not show up when it counts to cast a ballot. So that's my opening monologue rant there, uh, talking through here some of the main points of the debate. Just chronologically, I think what I'll do is I'll talk through some of the, the points that I had that I wrote down as I, we were going through it, and then sort of hit the what I think are going to be some of the main viral moments and just takeaways that people need to remember here. So at the top, the debate started out on the Supreme Court, which I thought benefited Trump immensely. He came out and was able to hit hard on his ability to nominate someone to the bench. He was right on all those points. Biden was in a comparatively weak position there. I thought it was interesting that when Biden got this, he tried to pivot. He did not want to talk about the Supreme Court at all. It was a loser issue for him. So he even said he does not oppose Barrett's nomination to the court, which I found extremely interesting for him to say. He is not trying to pick a fight with Barrett. He does not want people to think that Amy Coney Barrett is on the ballot with Trump. And so he tried to brush her aside immediately, only mentioned her once, and then moved on to his pivot, which was talking about the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare. So that's what he wanted to talk about. He wanted to talk about not Amy Coney Barrett directly, but the threat that she could pose by overturning the Affordable Care Act. Now, just as an aside, I don't think that's going to happen at the Supreme Court at all. The way the striking down the law in its entirety, which is what Biden and Democrats are arguing is going to happen, would mean that there has to be a majority on the court among conservatives to say that the individual mandate, which is the main issue here again, that the individual mandate is not severable from the rest of the law. And 
If you think, honestly, right here, if you think John Roberts is not going to make that clause severable from the rest of the Affordable Care Act, I don't know what to tell you because I, I, right, I would love to see that law struck down. I do not know, aside from, aside from Thomas and maybe, maybe Alito, and I don't know about Barrett, but I would not expect Gorsuch or Kavanaugh to go along with striking it down. In fact, I would expect Kavanaugh specifically to be on board with the severability clause just because it's not their job to do this. Roberts doesn't want the court in these contentious political issues. He sees this as Congress's job. And if Congress isn't going to be the one to strike this law down, why are you continuing to ask him to do it? So he's just going to make the individual mandate severable, which means you can just chop that part out and keep the rest of the law and call it a day and say, Congress, if you don't like this, you guys need to pass a law, which frankly is correct. That is what I would agree with too. We need to have that broad health care debate and Congress needs to pass something here to fix it because it is not a good system. For all the talk about how Obamacare would fix things, it hasn't fixed a single thing. It's been a disaster. So you've got to do something here and asking the Supreme Court to do the job of Congress is not the right way to do that. And I fully expect them to sever that clause. So this whole boogeyman that Biden is putting out here on healthcare is not a real one in my mind. It is out there, but it is a very remote possibility. But that was his main pivot. He went, he did not want to talk about the Supreme Court. He wanted to talk about healthcare. And then he got to talking about all the things that healthcare does and why people need that healthcare, because this is a bread and butter democratic issue to always bounce and talk about healthcare. So he was trying to talk about that. He didn't even really want to talk about the process. That was the other interesting thing about this at all. He was trying to wiggle out of any talk about the Supreme Court or its process as much as possible. And I thought Trump, this is where Trump was able to get rolling early because he had Biden where he wanted. Biden was trying to dodge and Trump was able to charge right ahead, which was able to set the tone for Trump early on and on into the debate. Because what Trump did in response to that, aside from just badgering, and beating on Biden throughout all these answers and all his non-answers is that he was able to hit back with Ginsburg. Again, you know, Ginsburg's quote that said a president is elected for four years. That thing has been spreading like wildfire on the right and rightfully so. She thought Obama had the right to nominate somebody in election year. She would have said so no matter what point in the year that was the case. And so it is the right point to have and Republicans have both and that matters. So I thought that was interesting to see. That was where I thought Biden got off balance, and he never really recovered, especially, I thought this was especially true about the Democratic notions of ending the filibuster at entirely, just limiting it entirely, and packing the court. Now, packing the court means that instead of keeping the court at nine justices, that Democrats would come around and add two, three, four more justices to the court in order to, quote-unquote, restore balance. Now, this is a point of a lot of contention. It's a very moronic and stupid idea. Both of them are. They're, they're not smart ideas. Because we're going to pack the court the Donald Trump can put, if you think the court should be packed right now, the Donald Trump shouldn't just nominate Amy Coney Barrett. He should nominate three or four more and just end this. If packing the court is a legitimately good idea, then Donald Trump should go ahead and do it. But that's not what they believe. This is a nakedly partisan play to make the Supreme Court your own personal legislative branch. You don't want to restore order. You want to flip it. And now that Republicans are going to take this power at a point where they follow the rules, Democrats want to change it to benefit themselves. So this is... A bad idea. Joe Biden knows this is a bad idea. 
That's why he doesn't want to support this here. And so when he was asked, point blank, do you support filibustering, ending the filibuster, or packing the court, he completely dodged the question. He refused to answer it and said he wanted to talk about something else. That was a dodge on his part, because if he says he doesn't support those things, Trump is right. He's alienating his base. Biden did not want to talk about that and pivoted to anything else. And so that is what put Biden off balance. He could not land a punch because he was too busy running from the questions. He was trying to run to more safe grounds, but because it was the Supreme Court and both Wallace and Trump were trying to pull him back, it was not helpful to him. So that was the first major point of the debate for me, where you saw Joe Biden completely dodge and try to get out of that 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 point he you because the only the only reaction you can have is this either Biden supports ending the filibuster and packing the court or he doesn't want to talk about it because he thinks it's going to cost him politically those are the only two solutions there because if you're busy calling out and saying well I don't want to talk about it because this is Trump's thing when your own party is calling for it then th- that's a dodge you either support it or you don't want to talk or you you're just trying to avoid alienating your own people that is his fear there so that was what put that was what really put Biden off balance and talking about healthcare and other things. He was trying to pivot and talk more about healthcare and then the coronavirus. And so the next segment ended up getting into COVID-19 and that's where Biden tried to tried to really reestablish himself here and that's where I thought that Trump continued to keep up the heat. Biden has an argument here that he can make, but he struggled to make it because what everybody knows about this virus is that the information from the public health experts has changed continually throughout this entire thing. We've learned about more and more about this thing, and so our response has changed over time. We didn't have any response to this. And so everything we've done and everything we've seen from every country in the the world, it doesn't matter if you're on the left, you're on the right, everyone has performed poorly with this response. Biden's thing is he said that we could be better. He wouldn't have lost 200,000 lives. And frankly, I don't believe him on that. That's not a point that he can make because no one has. I, I You would have to say that Joe Biden would have, because what happened was that Donald Trump closed the border to China in January, at the end of January. And he did that. He should have probably all close to close to the European borders around that time. That came later. But he did do that. That was his first action. He can say that he was one of the earliest to react, and that is the truth. He was one of the earliest. The problem was we didn't have testing to that time. And you've heard me on this show rant constantly about this fact that how we didn't have testing, we couldn't have we didn't have a response. And so we finally have gotten a response. We kindly we we finally do have, you know, therapeutics and vaccines in development. And as I've made the point, I can't remember if it was here or probably in the newsletter, the problem with Joe Biden on the virus is that he is correct in all of his assertions and that Donald Trump has failed on a numerous fronts. What Biden has failed to do is to point out what he would have done differently. Because if you look, specifically if you go back to his convention speech and you hear what his plan would be, all he's doing is saying the same thing that Donald Trump is saying, except in a sane voice and not so sporadic and spastic. And so 
you know, you're talking about, you know, shutdowns, masks, social distancing. Well, we're already doing all these things. We are probably going, we, are, we as I said in, I think it was, the, it was in the last podcast, we could be encountering a second wave here. And if you look around economically and just the mental state of this country, we can't afford another shutdown the likes what we saw in March and April. People will lose their minds. And so this notion, even if we are heading into a second wave, that we're just going to shut everything down, like Biden is saying and like Biden says he wants to do, will not work. It will not work. People are not ready to do that. And so all the points, this is what allowed Trump to continue to roll because his points on how people need to get out, they need to have their normal lives, and we've got to figure out a way basically to live with this and deal with this and not cower in our homes is the correct point because there are problems. I was reading a story just yesterday about how suicides are up in the military, like 20 to 30 percent. They're seeing people come home, dealing with all these shutdowns, and suicides are up. These are the kinds of things that are being exasperated by these shutdowns and by the the coronavirus environment. And we've got to figure out a way to get people out, get people to meet with each other, because we are social creatures. We thrive and need social interaction, and technology is not cutting it. It is flat out not cutting it, and you've got to get people to meet each other in places that are not on social media or on a Zoom call, because this is not enough. People have to touch. People have to talk to each other directly. They've got to be able to read body language. They've got to be able to see all these things, and when you start denying that, you're going to end up driving people insane. So that allowed Trump to continue rolling. Like I said, I thought he had a really clean hit talking about what Dr. Fauci has said about him, because Democrats have made Dr. Fauci into a celebrity. And so when Fauci says stuff that is beneficial to Trump, then it looks good on Trump. And so all the points that Biden tried to make through there, I thought Trump was able to clean up and hammer back with Fauci. And the other thing here that I found spectacularly strange about Biden, for a guy who wants to talk about a return to normalcy and a better future and a brighter tomorrow, he is running on the absolute worst case doomsday scenario about this virus He is running his campaign and running his reaction to it as if we're never going to have a vaccine or if or, you know, the fact there's not as many as asymptomatic cases as there are, that there are more symptomatic cases. And so this is far more deadly. And so it is weird to me for the person who claims to have the brighter tomorrow to be running on the doomsday version of this. Trump is running on the we are solving this and we have a solution. We have potential vaccines. And I agree with him. We have at least right now, three or four different vaccines that are on the track. And Trump is also right that the government has the ability to fast track a lot of this and cut the red tape to get this out to the people faster and distribute it faster. We do not have to rely on all these same old systems. We are in the middle of a pandemic. We should want our leaders to do that sort of thing. And so it is weird to me for for Biden to do all of that, to run on this doomsday idea and to just sit on it and expect people to come to him because he's pessimistic and he thinks we'd all should be extra careful when people, that may cut it for some people, but it's not going to cut it for everyone. And this is driving people insane. So that gave Trump throughout the debate about two, two straight, two straight rounds where he was able to 
I thought the best description was he was basically rope-a-doping and just sort of, you know, dodging and swinging, keeping Biden off his feet, bouncing around him. So Biden was never able to get stable. He was constantly shifting his answers. He would start out talking one thing. Trump would interrupt him. Biden would start responding to that. And so he never had... He had very few moments where a clear, coherent thought came out, and while people may have felt bad for him and thought Trump was a bully, it doesn't make Trump, it doesn't make Biden look like a president, and that is something that matters when you're going forward. A um, couple of the other things here I thought were good hits. Um, people, I, I thought it was interesting that people had differing opinions on Joe Biden's. You know, why don't you just shut up, man? I thought that was interesting. Um, people, some people thought it helped and some people thought it hurt. I didn't understand the people who thought that it would hurt Biden. That's one of those moments that's going to be viral and people are going to talk about it for a long time. Uh, you know, it'll anger the right and it'll help on the left. I don't know that it'll help in the middle, but it is one of those viral moments. I thought Trump had a, one of his, his best laugh line of the, was of the night was when they were talking about masks and, you know, they were talking about Chris Wallace was asking Trump about whether or not his his rallies were safe, and Trump was like, "No, they're they're outside. People can wear masks, and so we're fine. We haven't been a threat." And you know, they went back and forth. He and Biden went back and forth, and and then Trump finally hit back and said, "Yeah, when you hold your your, your rallies, only three or four people show up. The reason you're not doing this is because no one would show up to any of your rallies." And you know, that got a laugh out of Chris Wallace because he was in the middle of trying to regain control. So I thought that was one of the better moments of levity during the middle of the debate, and then. Trump's best hit, his strongest argument against Biden is very simple. And the reason I thought he lost some of his steam in the second half and the later parts of the debate was that he left it. His best argument about against Biden is very simple. Joe Biden talks about wanting to solve all these different problems, but Joe Biden has been in Congress or in the White House for 47 years. And none of these problems are solved. And so you're asking a person to solve all these different things when he's the one who's been there making all these decisions in the past. That's why I thought Trump Trump should have lost the, the back and forth debate over his taxes. That should have been a clean loss on his part. But Biden missed it because what Trump did is he came back and he said, well, the reason I was able to do all this was because I used the laws that you put into place. For the last 47 years. In fact, you even gift-wrapped me some of this money through one of the bailout packages. And, and Biden stumbled along and then said, well, no, you did some of this because it was a law that you passed. And that was a dumb argument because the taxes go back quite a ways. And when you're talking about Trump, you're talking about all these laws that he's used over the, over the years, from the Bush tax cuts to the bailout stuff in the Obama administration, and he's used all of them as any person in his place would. He is not the only one doing that. Now, you can call, you can call that dishonest. You can call it anything you want. But when it comes to most of this, they're not really loopholes per se. They are designed to do what Trump was using them for. So when you get bad at him for doing what, well, why not take it out? That's not something they ever talk about. That is getting rid of all these various, um, these either tax credits or these deferments or all these other things. Mitt Romney tried it in 2012 and people lambasted him for simplifying the tax code, getting rid of all those things, because people love those types of things and the rich use them quite a bit in their taxes. So that Trump's best line was the, you know, using the 47 years against Biden. I thought he should have kept with it because it was a very, 
Very simple thing to do. I thought he should have brought it back out during the race section when that was one of Trump's weakest moments of the night. He should have just pointed out that Joe Biden, all the stuff happened under Joe Biden's rule and and when Joe Biden was either a senator or in the White House and none of it ever got fixed. And now he says he has a plan. That's a pretty damning level uh, attack on Biden's record. So Trump got away from it and that's when he started losing control of it. So those... I mean, they obviously hit other ish, other things here. I'm going a little bit longer than I wanted to hear, so I'm going to move here real quick and talk about what I think, when I mentioned up at the top that the way we consume these debates is that people look for the viral moments. They look for the buzz lines. They look for the things, the slip-ups that people shouldn't have said, and that becomes the defining moments of the race. So... One of the, there are a lot here, so I'm just going to run through of them. Um, obviously, the race section, I thought this was one of the early ones came through. When you had, on the one hand, you had Donald Trump talking about, he Chris Wallace was hammering him and getting him to condemn uh, white supremacists and all these other groups. And the way that clip is getting cut is it makes it look like Donald Trump was saying, sure, sure, you know, just stand down and stand by to whatever groups that Wallace was saying. And so people are saying that he couldn't condemn it, when in reality he was trying to mock the question, that he didn't know what groups he was wanting to talk about, and he would just, just, whatever group that he mentioned, he would say he would condemn them all. And then he mimicked the language that that, um, Chris Wallace used, because Wallace used the language in the debate of stand down. And so... Trump said, stand down and stand by, which made his quote-unquote condemnation look incredibly weak. And so now it is getting cut and looking like he couldn't condemn white supremacy. Now you can say, well, that's not fair, but that's just how it's going to get cut. So it's going to look like he could not condemn it. And on the flip side, that that might have been the thing that you know helped out Biden. But then on the flip side, they got to talking about Antifa. And Biden said, Antifa is an idea, not an organization, which... Sure, that's true, but so is white supremacy. That's an idea, and you know what it does? It forms organizations of people, and the people in some of these cities are very organized, and people are dead because of that organization. People have lost their businesses because of this organization of people. And Tifa, like I would agree, it's not a quote-unquote organization, But it is an organizing principle for the people involved. They're all doing the same thing. They're all these same types of far-left white people who are burning everything down. They should all be put in jail. And so when you defend them and say, oh, all violence is, is, is wrong and Antifa is just an idea, not an organization, you are in effect doing the same thing that Donald Trump did. Because Biden does this same thing, and it's extremely annoying to me, where he will condemn generic violence and say it doesn't, all this stuff need, doesn't need to happen, that's not true protesting. But he won't condemn the groups that are in there, which is what they're trying to get Trump to do here. And so neither of them does this for the exact same reason. They think that it will hurt their base of support if they come right out and start naming off these groups. You extreme Black Lives Matters people, you shouldn't be burning things down. You extreme Antifa people, you cannot be burning things down. You are wrong. You should be put in jail. On the flip side, the Proud Boys, these white supremacists, these other groups, they should all be put in jail. They should not be out on the streets. And they can't do that because they think it will hurt their base. It is an extremely annoying part of modern political discourse right now. And both of those are going to be viral moments. In fact, the last I heard, Axios 
their clip of that moment with Trump already had over a million views, and that was before the end of the debate. So that is going to be one of probably the most viral moment of the debate. The other one will be Joe Biden just telling Trump to shut up. Now, you can say that was a breach of decorum, but frankly, it's going to be that viral moment. People are going to replay it. They're going to put in all kinds of stuff. That's going to be a viral moment. So that would be technically a win for Biden. So that's how these sorts of things play. So you kind of have to look at it that way. Uh, so those are the first two there. The the other viral moment is going to be Biden completely dodging the issue on court packing. You're going to see people on the right and left talk about that. On And then the other, it was a very weird segment with Biden when he was asked about the Green New Deal. And I could not tell what Biden believed on this point. Because he was asked about the Green New Deal. Trump was attacking him on the Green New Deal. And then Biden, he said, well, I'm not for the Green New Deal. You're just lying. You're just lying. You're just lying. And then he he, he pivoted and started talking about how the Green New Deal was great and it would save all kinds of money and they would do all kinds of things. And then everybody, both Wallace and Trump said, wait, you support the Green New Deal now? And Trump said, I mean, uh, Biden said, of course not. No, I don't support it. And so he went back and forth on that. And in reality here, if you go to his website, there is pro-Green New Deal language on his website. So he has endorsed versions of this, which is, as Trump said, trillions upon trillions of dollars in cost to the nation and will kill Buku's numbers of jobs. Uh, it is a bad idea. It is so bad that Nancy Pelosi made sure to have that thing scuttled in the House. So that was a weird moment. It's going to be viral. I... Trump and his supporters are going to pitch that as a way that it sinks the left. I don't know that it'll do that just because it's so confusing. And so it was very, very weak, especially when you have it on Biden's website. The uh, the the two weakest moments for Trump, obviously, as I said, the first one was the race moment the uh, where he was having his problems condemning white supremacy again. Um, the other weak point, really weak point for Trump was that I don't remember the exact point that he was talking about with Biden, but he did say something. He, he started attacking Biden and saying that he shouldn't just call he He couldn't use the word smart around Trump. And then he started attacking Biden's academic record and calling him dumb, basically. And I, it was incoherent. It didn't make any sense. And it was a an incredibly low blow. And I don't think that played well at all. And... If it goes viral, it's just going to make him bad. The other weak point was at the very end of the debate when they got into debating all the various issues with ballots and accepting the results of the election. And the reason that's a weak point for Trump is that the problems with the ballot process are impossible to describe to a lay human being. I know what these problems are. I've been writing about them. There is a very distinct problem in Pennsylvania with what's called a naked ballot, and you should file that term away right now because the naked ballot is going to be an issue come November because it's going. there's going to be a very long and a very drawn-out fight over whether or not we count ballots that get put into the right envelope. State law says if a ballot is not put into a certain envelope, it does not get counted, even if everything else is put in right. And what the Democrats in that state are trying to say is that it's a stupid law and we should count these ballots Anyway, Republicans are saying, well, if you want it, you should change the law, and you can't get the court to change the law for you. So I, you can pick whatever side you want to believe to about that. They're going to fight about it. If, if Pennsylvania ends up being close, there's going to be a fight over whether or not 
over what ballots were counted and what ballots were not counted. So that's going to be an issue. So just file that away right now, the term naked ballot. I don't think you're going to see that similar problem in places like Florida because they have an awesome mail-in ballot system. It's going to be in those states like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, and I have no idea how that's going to turn out. And Trump's attacks on that sounded wildly off base and incoherent, and no one is going to understand a single thing that he's trying to argue there. I know the stories that he was relying on and talking about there, and I, it would take me more time than what he had there to explain them to a normal human being what is happening in some of these states. It is a problem. I have issues with some of these, these, these mail-in ballots, especially, with, but it's always going to be different with each state. So, those are, I think. All the major points that I had on the the debate, I can't see anything else in my notes. So this is the first one, my first reaction here. Uh, if this gets a good reaction, I'll do another one after the vice presidential, presidential debate. That is going to be in a week or two, sometime in October. I don't expect this one to move the polls much. The only way this could impact the race is if... Biden's base looks at him and says, I can't vote for him. I'm just not going to bother to turn out. He's got a lead. He doesn't need me. And you could get that from a debate performance like that. I don't think you will, just primarily because I don't think these debates matter. And that's because Donald Trump lost all three debates versus Hillary Clinton. Objectively, he lost all three. Mike Pence had basically a tie against Tim Kaine. I don't have any memory of that debate because... Mike Pence and Tim Kaine debating is forgettable by itself. No one would want to listen to them drone on for an hour and a half. And then in 2012, Mitt Romney won the first debate, and then I thought the rest of them were ties throughout the rest of the way, and Mitt Romney lost that one. All that momentum that he got, he immediately lost. George W. Bush famously lost his first debate against John Kerry in 2004. And, you know, and then picked it up and got the equivalent of draws in the media from there on out. So the winners and losers of these things don't really matter. There are some political things here that do matter. So if Biden and his camp and Democrats try to get him out of these debates because they can't take another performance like that, the fact that he lost this, it matters because then you're leaving them in a moment of weakness and it looks bad. So that is my main takeaway right there. You if. If you're a Democrat, you can't let Biden get out of these debates. He's got to have a better performance. I don't know how you get that because allegedly you spent a month preparing him for this and you've got a lot less time now to prepare for the next one. But that's the that's the that's what you've been served here. Maybe you can get Kamala Harris to have the debate performance of her life. That's a long shot too. She's not great at this. So those are my reactions right out of the gate for this first debate of 2020. Hope you liked them. And I will be back on Friday with the newsletter. You can sign up on thebeltwayoutsiders.com and get that. I will also have my Friday column coming out at the Conservative Institute, so you can make sure to look out for that. I don't know what I'm writing in either of those, but that's not too, that that's to be expected at this point. So here is my reaction, and I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I will see you guys in the next episode. 